Hello, I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan. In this pediatric chat, we welcome Dr. Bill McNett, a pediatrician at Nemours. I'm going to have Paul and I bow out and have Bill sit with four mothers to give them the opportunity to talk about their concerns with their kids and to ask Bill the various questions they have. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Amy. I'm a mother of three, a 12-year-old son and nine-year-old twins, uh-huh. boy-girl. Hi, my name's Jen. I'm mother of four. I have an eight-year-old son, a six-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, and a two-year-old son. Hi, my name is Tiffany. I'm a mother of three. My oldest is a nine-year-old girl. My middle is a six-year-old boy, and my youngest is a three-year-old girl. Hi, I'm Amy, and I'm a mother of boy-girl twins, and they're four years old. So who wants to go first? As a mom who takes her children to their annual checkups, I often get asked the question, are you giving your child a multivitamin? And when I respond no, (laughs) I get looked at as if I have three heads, and why not? I feel my children are really healthy. They eat a really well-balanced diet, and they're on chart with the growth charts. Is it really necessary for a child to take a multivitamin? I totally agree with you on this. I see vitamins as an insurance policy. They may help, they're not gonna hurt if parents don't wanna use multivitamins. If their child is eating well, then I don't think that they necessarily need to have a vitamin every day. I may be the minority because vitamins become so popular, but yeah, I just don't buy into it. I think the only time I use vitamins is typically in the toddlers because they have such a skewed diet where they may only want pasta or only want certain foods. That will make us all feel better you know, if we do a multivitamin, knowing that they probably will be okay without a multivitamin. One of the reasons I am hesitant about giving it to them because I find that when I go to read the back of the label, there's so many preservatives and Absolutely. there's so many other things in there that I don't want my children to have. That why I think you're just being a really smart mom. You know, if you think that you don't want to subject your child to these preservatives, then don't. Again, you're making good sense. They're eating a variety of foods, and I think it's really impossible to be in the United States and be vitamin deficient. And so I think the vitamin companies have done an amazing job of selling us this need for vitamins, which we really don't need. I also had a question on diet. Uh My kids are all very good eaters. We don't eat preservatives. We don't do any high-sodium canned foods or anything. Mm -hmm. I try to do everything from scratch, which I end up in the kitchen for (laughs) way more hours than I ever want to. And the reason I do is there's some weight issues on my husband's side, and I just want my kids to have good, healthy eating habits so they're not battling with their weight when they're older. And maybe I'm a little overly Mm -hmm. concerned with it. Do early eating habits, whether good or bad, does it have a long-term effect on them? Will it help in the long run? Or is it they're going to think, oh, I couldn't have six cookies when I was little, so I'm going to eat them now. One of the things you're going to do when your kids get older is actually provide them those choices and kind of see how they do. But I think when you talk to your kids about why, and as they get older, they start understanding why, it just makes a lot of sense to me, again, that they will probably follow in your footsteps. But your first statement is true. It does have an impact on our eating habits, both good and bad. Our children who are allowed sweets really early, they continue to eat sweets and they do have problems with obesity. And you know, we're fighting a losing battle right now with our obesity issue in kids. So I think parents taking that responsibility and being conscientious about it, again, is the right thing to do. And I don't think, you know, when your kid does go off to college, of course, they're going to maybe not do exactly what you want them to do. But you want to be sure that even while they're out of your care, when they're in junior high and high school, and they are making those choices for themselves, that you have that four to six years that you're watching their weight as they're making their own choices, and that you're kind of helping them along the way without maybe hovering as you're doing right now because they're young. Okay, good. One more thing on the diet. So my kids up until about age three, they eat every every fruit, every vegetable, every bean, every meat, everything. There's mm-hmm. very few things that they didn't like. That's rare. And then once they get to age three, and I feel like as soon as they drop their nap, by dinner, they won't eat anything. Mm-hmm. Forget it. I'm too tired. They don't eat dinner. So specifically, my my oldest, that lasts a little while, and he got over it. He's a great mm-hmm. eater. My six-year-old at dinner is still picky. Some nights he'll eat Brussels sprouts and drink his milk and won't have meat. I'm like, well, you need your protein, buddy. So, but the next I'm impressed night, that he's eating Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> Can I please ask a question too? I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, but you're describing exactly what it's like in my house. Well, the and next night, the he'll eat the chicken, but he won't eat the mm-hmm. string beans or whatever, the vegetables, mm-hmm. even if it's Brussels sprouts again, because I know he likes them. He doesn't 
Mm-hmm. He just wants to eat chicken tonight. Yeah. So I try to do the my plate every night. They have all the food groups. Perfect. And if he chooses to not eat a food group one night and doubles it the next night, is that okay? Or should I still say, eat at least three bites of chicken tonight because that's your protein? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Actually, what you're experiencing is so normal. I try to encourage parents when the kids are in that phase where they may not eat a little bit of everything to think of their meals kind of in a three-day process, that within three days that they're having their proteins, they're having their vegetables and their fruits. And if they're meeting that, then back off. Okay. The last okay. thing you want to do is get into a battle over food with your kids. That's what I That's worry about. Yeah. Because no, they're no. going to win. They're, yeah. you know, I tell parents, you know, you can't control what comes into their bodies or what comes out of their bodies. So just give it up. <laughs> okay? Oh, God. You know, is that too crass? I'm sorry. <laughs> Not at all. But it's, hilarious. yeah, so you have to be able to just kind of give up that control. Mm. But you control what goes on their plates. You control what you're serving them in their, in their glasses. Just make and sure you, they have good you, choices exactly. to choose from. And if okay. they, you know, if they don't eat everything, not a big deal, okay? As long as they're growing mm-hmm. well, as long as they're doing well the next day, that they're not tired, that they're able to participate in daycare or preschool or, or school, whatever it is. I mean, you're watching them pretty closely. And if they seem to be functioning okay, then I think we're fine. Okay, good. Thank you. So often do parents give up too easily with giving their kids food choices. My son didn't like Brussels sprouts the first 30 times they gave it to him, but I continued to give it to him, and now it's one of his favorite. My kids ask for their green smoothies in the morning because mom and dad did it so often. Just continue Mm -hmm. to try and continue to make it different ways, and it really does help. Actually, that's a great technique. What we encourage parents to do is to continue to introduce their kids to those different kinds of foods. And we know that just by putting it on the plate, it takes about 10 tries. Your kids took 30. But it's usually about 10 that finally they start touching it, they start licking it, they start figuring it out, and then they'll start accepting it. But if they never have that opportunity, they'll never do it. And parents feel like they're wasting their food, and actually you're just kind of investing. You know, So think of it as putting it out there, this is how we eat, this is the kind, these are the kinds of things we eat, and then let them do it. It's okay. But yeah, and know that you're going to waste a little bit. But it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's tell worth them it's it. It's okay to spit it out if you really don't like it. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just get it but in there and try it. But at least they tried it. Exactly. And you know, that's a. <laughs> You're a very generous mom. Uh, um, but I think that's actually not a bad technique either. It's like, it's okay. We just want you to not throw it across the room when you see it. What do you do if your child doesn't want to eat anything that's on the plate? Yeah, they're going to get hungry. Cater to them and yeah. give them something that they really want. Is it better to do that? Or is it just to keep prodding and prodding and prodding to get them to eat that? Well, but I don't want do to be a short order cook either. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, how often do your kids eat during a day? They get uh, about five times, yeah. probably at least. Isn't that nice? Yeah, they do a yeah. breakfast, so if they snack, miss, lunch, snack. So if you have a, if they miss a meal, you know they're going to have an opportunity in a couple of hours. So is it okay something. to let them have a snack then? If they, if they don't eat their dinner, then snack later. Well, I mean, if you're if you have five or six, most most families will do five or six meals. You know, three meals and then three snacks or two snacks. So they're not going to go hungry for very long. And if they just don't want it, again, mm-hmm. it's their choice. I mm-hmm. am like, all right, let's take it away. But I would not go in the kitchen and start making them another meal. You're right. You sh- cannot be a short order cook. <laughs> and so the next thing you know, you're making five or six meals for yeah. each meal time. Yeah. And, and that just isn't. to get into a routine this of like, is, this is I think dinner the, and this is what we good, do. And good, good. Yeah, the family meal is really important. It's not just about nutrition. It's also about being a family. Yeah. If, you know, one of the kids gets something special because they don't want this, well, then when is it my turn to get something special? And the reality is, is it will be your turn if you're doing your job right, that everybody gets a turn, you know? And I'm sure you ask your kids sometimes, what do you want for, for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, let's have that. Then the next night, it's the next kid, you're asking them, what do you want for dinner? And that's a pretty special thing. But this idea of going out and making something they want. And this is has nothing to do with pediatrics. This is not scientific. This is my mother, all right? Because I came from a family of six. Is when we were old enough to make our own, then she would say, all right, go do it yourself, but I'm not making it for you. That's a good story. And, and it worked. I mean, <laughs> none of us starved. <laughs> the kitchen, and we had to clean up the kitchen after ourselves. So we had to both be able to make it and then clean it. That was our rule, okay? But every family is different. But I like this idea of... This is the meal now. Take what you want. In terms of that, too, I go through spurts with my kids where some days they're going to want to just eat five times a day. Other days they want to graze all day long and they don't want to eat one big meal here and one big meal there. 
Is that a concern at all? I mean, I'm very particular that if, okay, you just picked a fruit, now you have to have a protein. Mm. Now you have to have a dairy. Mm. I try, I'm monitoring them all day long, and I'm watching to make sure that they're not eating too much of one food group and that mm-hmm. they're sort of mm-hmm. diverse. I think the key is that it happens occasionally. If it was every day, no. grazing is not necessarily a great way to eat, mm-hmm. although that may be how we were programmed to eat. But there are a lot of kids who are grazers. But I think if it happens occasionally, go with it. Okay. Again, don't. I would not spend a lot of energy catering. But I think you know if it's something that's simple, and I like what you're doing, is giving them again limited choices throughout the day. In terms of that too, I have two daughters, and I'm concerned about dairy consumption. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right amount is, and mm-hmm. I'm concerned. I've read reports where it can set them off into early puberty. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I mean, is that a possibility? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Can they have not. too much? Uh, yes, they can, mm-hmm. um, but not for that. It's not going to send them into er- early puberty, but they may develop. It was happening a while ago as, as girls would develop breasts, but mm-hmm. it wasn't early puberty. They would, weren't in true puberty. They were just what, uh, what we call premature telarchy and may have to do with a little bit of extra estrogen, which is you know was in some of our foods. You know, it was in chicken for a while. Soy products, they might get it. So what we recommend is 16 ounces of dairy, at least 16 ounces in the second year of life. After that, not that we don't care. We want them to get it just because it's good calcium, it's good vitamin D. We we recommend um, decreasing to, you know, one or 2% milk after the second year. Um, But as far as amount, you don't want them drinking probably more than 24 to 32 ounces a day. What about cheese consumption? My oldest could eat cheese all day long. If I let her, she even knows. I I tell her, okay, you've had one piece of cheese. You have to stop now. Okay. So... I How does that feel? Oh, it's great. <laughs> okay. She, we, it, we battle can, sometimes because yeah. she'll even say, okay, I know I've had one piece of cheese. Can I have a, can I have a smoothie now? Yeah. So, or a cottage cheese, and I have, mm-hmm. to, I have to cut her off. Yeah. But again, you're just being a good, responsible mom. Is it too much? Maybe not. But again, these are kind of, I, I think you're following some good guidelines. So I think you can trust that. But, you know, I think the idea is, again, it's not about eating too much of one thing, but balancing it with other things, with other types of foods, which is what you're really doing. So you hear a lot about the recombinant growth hormone that's in milk. What are your thoughts on that? And why did they do that? And (laughs) should we be buying milk with it or without it? Does it matter? Um, It's very confusing. Like, are there studies that have shown that? I have to tell you, if there may be, I just don't know that they are. We've been doing this a long time, probably, and you know, I always tell people, look around. I think we're probably okay. So I think it's okay. But I, I can't cite any studies for you, and I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I okay. just can't tell them. Okay. Mainly my four-year-old likes to choose the almond milk over cow's mm-hmm. milk. Mm-hmm. She still does have cow's milk, and she eats goat mm-hmm. cheese and regular cheese. But should I steer her more toward the cow's milk, or is it okay? See, this is a, res- this is a <laughs> relatively new phenomenon that we actually have these different milks available to us. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know. Okay. On a f- larger scale, if they're necessarily good or bad for us, you know, when you look at the the ingredients, they're probably okay. But again, all things in moderation. You know, if it's a little bit, then I think it's fine. If they're just drinking a gallon a day, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's I think that's probably the answer. That is probably fine. But let's not go overboard. Okay, she usually just has it in her cereal because that's what yeah. I have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Is it okay for you? I can't have cow's milk, so okay. I so have to drink something else. Yeah. And yeah. usually she just wants it when I'm pouring my cereal, then she'll have it too. Okay, that's kind of cool. She loves her mommy. It's <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Again, my children are very healthy and very active on an everyday basis. How much time should a child be active during the day? What are the, the recommended guidelines for mm-hmm. daily activity as like riding bike or being outside playing? The guidelines seem to always change. Some places it's an hour long or 30 minutes and kids today get less time at recess because they're Mm -hmm. working so hard at Mm -hmm. school and um, I just want to know what Mm -hmm. I should be offering to them. Yeah that's a great question Mm -hmm. and what's interesting is we never hear about if there's too much activity right Mm -hmm. how much is too much Mm -hmm. we never hear that. (laughs) We generally recommend an hour a day and we would like to see more than that. In some communities, it's harder to do than others just because of the constraints. There's a lot of competition for time in school and homework, what the family needs may be. But I think just allowing your kids to get out there and play is so important. 
And even if they can't get outside and play, there's so many things they can do inside to play, there too. There is, it's, yeah. As far as the restrictions goes, I think everybody can put on some music and dance. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's yeah. always yeah. there's yeah. always activity yeah. available. It's just, yeah, again, right. as a parent, yeah. Yeah, my we, concern is, you know, how much of it should they be getting each day? Mm-hmm. And We had such a cold winter, and, you know, sometimes bundling them up and letting them out for 15 minutes because it was so cold. I'm like, all right, now you got to come back in. But... You know, they so they didn't get their full hour, but then we have scooter boards and they do that up and down the hallway. So that mm-hmm. counts as sure as long as it's not sitting in yeah. front of the TV or in front of yeah. the video games. If they're running around down the basement, that's yeah. considered oh, yeah. part of that. Okay, yeah. hour. What if they just start running around your house uncontrollably? Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> that's always fun. But put everything up. <laughs> you know, the alternative to playing really is screen time. We have so many different choices now for screen time. And maybe that would be, uh, that is more important. And a lot of people I think are trying to do this is limiting the amount of screen time because the alternative is going to be play. Mm-hmm. Really, if they can't sit and watch TV or play a game on the computer, then, you know, kids being kids, I mean, they're going to find something to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, I think a better approach is limiting that, which hopefully will then lead to more play. We've done that in our household. I don't know if it's backfired on me, though. They're not, they aren't allowed to play during the week but then i find okay. saturday morning they wake up at the crack of dawn like and, that's, yeah, and that's they're right. so excited to play <laughs> and then up. trying to get them out from playing is like all right that's enough but we do we definitely mm-hmm. put limits they have Good. no more than an hour mm-hmm. in the morning and then an hour in the evening again depending on what our weekend mm-hmm. plans are but I mm-hmm. think it's so important. Although some of the electronics, again, have activity, dancing, and yeah. mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and again, and that's it's, maybe different. You can talk about that. It is a, a different creature. I dance we doesn't count is that hour mm-hmm. until we have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna play dance way or Xbox or whatever it is, that doesn't count as the exp- as the Minecraft time. So Good. yeah, I that's think that's separate, fair. I think there's more than a fair. separate time. My husband and I like we're like physical activity is really important to us, and we want our kids to find something that they like and, mm-hmm. and encourage that. Like, when should you start exposing your kids to, like, sports activities and, like, getting them exposed to the soccer and the baseball? So I guess it's kind of a two-part question. It's mm-hmm. One, when, and then two, how much is too much and at mm-hmm. what age? Because mm-hmm. I know, you know, some kids are playing, like, three, four sports at a time, and my kids are four. What should they be doing now? Well, what do you and your husband do? We like, ski, uh-huh. we bike, run, walk. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're going to want to do what you and daddy do, right? And and you can make it fun and you can alter that activity so they can participate. I have to tell you, this is, I am evil. I am not a fan of organized sports for kids mm-hmm. until they want to. And then knock yourselves out. Mm-hmm. But this idea of exposing, I mean, going to soccer games when your kid is three years old, I think mm-hmm. is... A little ridiculous. I'd rather I you spend that great. time playing. I, yeah. I, I love it. it. Well, there's so yeah. much pressure. Someone says it. I know. I yeah. think there's so much pressure when you hear about, well, my three-year-old's taking dance and my four-year-old's taking is in soccer and this and that. And then you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm when did it evolve mom. like, like this? I didn't put yeah. my kids in soccer yeah. yet or I didn't do this. I, I didn't usually <laughs> recommend you put that money in their college fund and play. And then when they express an interest, um, that's when you want to let them explore. One of the things that we're realizing is that our kids are, being, are becoming specialized in sports, that they're picking a sport, and that's it. You know, it's creating injury. It's creating these plateaus in their abilities. Mm-hmm. And so we're now trying to recommend, you know, find something else to do, not just one sport, but mm-hmm. really just as you're we're talking about foods and looking at variety of foods also think about sports as being a variety that we should be choosing Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. i mean it's a huge commitment and i'm not sure if that commitment's worth it for a family i think it sacrifices family time when you're courting your kids here and there to dance and then you're doing one another one too wherever and i think you know there does need to come a point where you kind of have to say you know this isn't healthy for us as a family and that's what I hear all the time is kids just getting um, overextended and they're cranky and tired because they don't get home until, you know, seven. They haven't mm-hmm. eaten and they may have homework to do. And it sounds like a miserable existence. And it's supposed to be fun. You know, whatever yeah. their sport is, it's supposed to be fun. And now, with that said, I love the idea of organized sports to help get kids out and about, to help promote good health. But this idea of getting them into sports so early and 
uh, teaching them this skill so early. I just don't know if it's going to make them a better soccer player or a better baseball player. Maybe it is, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it's worth the cost. Okay. You could have one backfire. My daughter has watched her brothers play baseball, and this year she wanted to play t-ball. We signed her up. We get there. She stands there. She goes, I'm not doing this. I'm like, okay, so do I let her not do it and then let her think it's okay to quit or push her to do it? I'm at that point right now. Yeah. <laughs> so what, yeah, what does you, your, you, your gut tell you? <clears throat> let her stop. Yeah. So actually I came home from practice on Sunday, and I told my husband, "We're not. she's not into this. We're just not doing it. And I told her, look, you're not ready. It's okay. Well, she started crying. She wants to do it. I said, well, you're, you're not really doing it. <clears throat> so I told her I'd bring her to one more practice. Good. And if she wants to try it, and if not, then mm-hmm. I think we'll that's stop. very You think it's not going to give her the, the thought that it's okay to quit? It's just... How old is she? She's four. So. Yeah, no. I, okay. <laughs> but I want her to be able to try things, too. And no, know that's that great. And like you did. It, and she okay. gets there and she says, maybe this isn't my cup of tea. And maybe it's just too foreign to her. These are kids that she's not used to. You know, some kids have really difficult times with transitions. Continuing to explore what she wants to do or what she would like to do and just exposing her to different things um, would make sense to me. Okay. I think the boys chose not to play after I signed her up. So I think if they were playing, it would probably... Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, we all went to practice on Saturday and they all got to go to practice, but now they're doing other things. And she's like, oh, well, they're not doing this. That's not what I want to do yeah. now. So yeah. let, her, let her stop. Okay. Yeah. 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 In terms of that, too, my nine-year-old this year was jumping for joy to do gymnastics. And then just one day she said, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too much with my homework. I have too much on my plate. And I said, I just signed you up for another session. You haven't even begun. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's like a grocery bill for a week. Mm-hmm. So I backed off, but I made it very clear to her that, look, you know, I'm going to let you stop, but I want you to realize the financial Good. setback. I, mm-hmm. I, I struggled with it because I like my kids when they make a commitment. I try to teach them. You keep your commitment. Yeah. Good. But I, when, they, when they push back with me. I, I try to listen to sort of the underlining things going on more so, mm-hmm. and then I'll back off. But I try to make them aware of what some of the consequences are as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I tell them, too, well, then it's going to be a while until I'm going to sign you up for something until you show me you're really going to be committed to doing it. Is sure. that the right approach? I think it sounds reasonable. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking that time to explore as to why, and there may be some things that she just may not be able to express to you as to why she wanted to stop gymnastics. Maybe somebody made fun of her. Maybe she had the wrong leotard on. Maybe, (laughs) you know, it could be something pretty profound or it could be something so random at that age. Uh, But the difference between a four-year-old and a nine-year-old are vast, you know, and she knows what she wants and she knows better what she wants, I should say. And I think sitting and talking about why, for with a nine-year-old is more than reasonable. And then I think you did a good job of just listening. And it's like, all right, let's move on. But it does have consequences. That's a great lesson for kids. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't punish her. But no. One of your jobs as mom and moms are teaching your kids the value of money and what that means. You know, that doesn't just happen. Right. So and you can't start too early. A burning question that I've had for quite some time now, because I have two daughters, is Gardasil. Oh, love it. I What's have, your question? <laughs> I have some reservations with it. Why? I mean, and it's okay, because you're like amongst friends. A lot of people have reservations. I think, honestly, I would like to know the pros and cons of it. Okay. If I choose not to give it to my daughters, what mm-hmm. could I potentially be facing if I don't? Cervical cancer. Mm. It's so clear to me. So we now have about 10 years experience with Gardasil. So we know from a safety factor, it's an incredibly safe vaccine. Okay. Uh, It got a really bum rap in such a profound way and weird way, you know, with YouTube having these um, videos of kids who got Gardasil and now are walking backwards and they can't think straight. And, you know, what was her name? Who was saying, this is going to make your child retarded, which was a horrible thing to say. And blatantly not true. So we now have hundreds of millions of doses of Gardasil have been given. Okay. And we just don't, there's no downside as far as safety. It's a very, very safe vaccine. The other thing that we know is that it has made a profound impact on the amount of cervical cancer in the United States since it's been started. And not just cervical cancer, we're now seeing that it also is decreasing the number of esophageal cancer, mouth cancers, anal cancers. I did hear that. Because these are viruses that get any place in the body, and they all can cause 
you know, potential cancer-causing viruses. So I have no problems recommending. In fact, I, I have a very strong recommendation. And when parents ask me that question, and it's a very fair question to ask, I think we do need to be skeptical of any new vaccine. But it's not new anymore. It's a proven vaccine. Now we need to kind of say, all right, just like you don't hesitate to get the other, your kids other vaccines. What made it so sticky is because it's related to sexual activity. And that just felt horrible. It felt horrible for parents thinking my nine-year-old or my 11-year-old is not having sex. Why am I giving this vaccine? And pediatricians were feeling horrible because your 11-year-old is not having sex, but I'm giving you a vaccine. So I think once we realize the safety the impact that it has, I think you're going to find their pediatricians are going to, and family of medicine uh, physicians are going to be more emphatic about recommending this, not just for girls, but also for boys. We're recommending it for everybody, really? starting really? at age 11. At age 11? Age 11, yeah. And the idea is, mm-hmm. and this is you know the other thing to think about, how many of your kids got hepatitis B vaccine when they were in the newborn nursery? All, all yeah, through, yeah. all mine. Oh, did you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hepatitis B, sexually transmitted infection. Why would you give your babies a hepatitis B vaccine? in the newborn nursery. Did you guys even think about it? No. no. You were too tired. We didn't give you a chance to think about it. Yeah, it's like, of course, and why not? I like vaccines. So the point is this. Actually, there there is a reason we do it in the newborn nursery because there is that very small possibility that a woman may be infected with hepatitis B during her pregnancy that we may not catch. And so by giving the vaccine in the newborn nursery, we kind of, it's such an effective vaccine that it really kind of takes away that very, very, very small risk. And we also know that it's effective for lifetime. Okay, but it's a sexually transmitted infection that we do without blinking an eye. Not that that justifies the cortisol. No, honestly, you put my mind at ease much more. Okay, you really do. And I think part of it is we have much more information about it. Right, that is so helpful. And when you look at the rate of cancer of cervical cancer, it's like this is such a Mm no-brainer to me. And when parents are still hesitant about it, then I need to start exploring as to what are your concerns and. And, and then it becomes more, I have a friend, I heard the story, and, and we understand that. It's very difficult to put a needle into your child's body, injecting something that you're not 100% sure. So you have to be. You have to understand the impact of this vaccine, if it's going to help your child or not, before you should agree to it. So what are the early signs of dyslexia? My six-year-old son used to constantly write some of his letters backwards, Mm -hmm. and he always wrote the number seven backwards. He doesn't often do it anymore, but now he's reading, and every once in a while he'll say top instead of pot. And I'm like, look again, Gabe. His teacher didn't seem worried at this point, but I don't know, is there a point to to Mm -hmm. start noticing that it might be dyslexia? Mm -hmm. Is there anything to do to help him now at at this point? So, Mm -hmm. or is it just a learning curve with his reading and writing? So how long has his teacher been teaching? She is, she just told me, she's 76. Oh my God, that's so cool. She has been teaching for a very, very long time. Okay, if she says she's not worried, I'm not worried. (laughs) But actually what you describe is so common. Um, It's just a It's developmental. Um, So frequently kids will reverse letters and numbers you know, when they're four or five, and they're, as they're just getting started. And as long as you see this progression of correction, mm-hmm. you're going to be fine. Okay. And the fact that he was doing it so often, and now it's rare, an occasional word, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to be fine okay. uh, with that. Okay, good. Thank you. Had anybody else experienced that with their kids? No, not yet. My daughter okay. always puts her shoes on the wrong feet. Now <laughs> oh, like, my gosh. Okay, yes. is this, is this <laughs> a sign too. of something? Because the boys never did that. My, my, all three of my kids have done that. And I, after a while, I just get, you know, they're eventually going to feel uncomfortable and just switch <laughs> yeah. it. I give up. I mean. I'd be happy. They just have their shoes on. Exactly. And they yeah. can do it themselves. <laughs> right. That's a great point. It's crazy. I'm like, yeah. switch it, switch it. No, I just, I'm like, yeah. You, I, yeah, I just love yeah. it. And that's your four-year-old who's switching her shoes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But the she, one who I was worried about with dyslexia, he never did. So. Yeah. No, she's four. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I was half joking with the shoes. A question that I have is that I've I've read that self-esteem for kids during puberty can really plummet. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned about that with my kids, especially my, my daughters. Mm-hmm. So what's something that I can do to help them during that process to really sort of help boost their self-esteem mm-hmm. as they're going through changes? Mm-hmm. Part of it is 
I mean, there's so many parts to that question or, or answers or things I know, to think about. I know, there's a lot about. of facets. I think some of it may be personality, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl, that they uh, it's just part of who they are, and that recognizing that as a parent and then supporting them and giving them, I think, some boost or some help is so important. What I love now, especially for girls, is that there are such rich role models for girls as to powerful women, um, people who make a difference, that we don't need to be subservient because we're a girl. We don't have to not be smart because we're a girl. But I think pointing out those examples early on, as they get to that point where they realize that, you know what, maybe some boys don't like it when I'm smarter than they are, or they don't like it when I'm taller than they are, or whatever it is, that you're right there to catch them and to just kind of propel them through it. It's a learning curve for girls and boys. But I think, you know, just being aware and just being ready to show them examples or even starting now showing them examples of what they're capable of doing. I think a great example would be, you know, if your pediatrician's a woman, which nowadays, you know, 90% of pediatricians coming out of training are women. What a great role model. You know, this is a woman who has put themselves through college, through medical school, through advanced training, and now she's your doctor. And we don't think of doctors as being women. We think of doctors as being men. And so pointing out those kinds of examples, when you see women who are you know, doing things which may not be traditionally uh, feminine or uh, a woman's role, just kind of pointing it out and see what they say. Um, see, you know, just giving them those kinds of visuals, I think is really helpful. Yeah, because even now I'm noticing with my, my oldest two, they're probably considered smaller. Mm-hmm. And it bothers them immensely. And it started for both of them in kindergarten. And it breaks my heart because I don't emphasize at all in size in our mm-hmm. house. I always just, I'm always more concerned about health. I try to instill, Good. I don't talk about dieting or mm-hmm. I just try to keep my kids, you know, I instill moving a lot and mm-hmm. healthy eating, eating habits. But both of them have already adopted that they're, they feel they're just so small and tiny and they don't mm-hmm. like it and it makes mm-hmm. them self-conscious. And I really don't know what to do to help them with that because I'm short. Mm-hmm. So I even tell them, I've been short my whole life and I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I can do things that daddy can't do because my husband's 6'2". Mm-hmm. You know, there's less yeah. things he can't do that I can mm-hmm. do and vice versa. And this is what's going to happen is they may not voice this to you, but you're going to overhear them saying the same things to their friends that you've been telling them. It's really pretty remarkable. So they're hearing you. Okay. And they're listening. I hope. And they will start, I think, uh, internalizing this. You know, again, I think having such a rich role model is so important. And sometimes, you know, as parents, we start modeling behaviors that we wouldn't have done otherwise, good behaviors that we wouldn't have thought about, realizing that we're doing it for our kids, not necessarily for us or for because it's the right thing to do, but because we need our kids to come out right. And so I think, you know, they watch everything we do and they listen to everything we say i know it's kind of scary it's very it's i think it's daunting i think it's i think it's a daunting responsibility (laughs) so it's tough i have a question sure what are some of the early signs of depression anxiety in say preschoolers Mm. kindergartners versus Mm. you know what some typical Mm -hmm. behavioral kind of thing normal for that age would be Mm. i mean i'm not sure i'm gonna have a great answer for that first of all it's uh it's not something that we ever thought about and are that age. And we know now that there certainly are examples of kids, you know, in hindsight that they probably were exhibiting some evidence of depression or even anxiety. In kids, it actually comes out in something a little bit different than it does for adults. It comes out in irritability. You know, the kids who are just cranky kids, um, kids who don't want to sleep. Um, and, and, and teenagers, it's just the opposite. You can't wake them up. Mm-hmm. Um, but in younger kids, it really is usually that irritability, just inability to get along with others, you know. And, and, the, and again, that might just be their cranky personality, mm-hmm. or it could be some evidence of anxiety or depression. The other thing to think about is, you know, we know that a lot of times it's situational that they may have cause to be depressed or cause to be anxious, and it has to do with what's going on within the family. You know, when mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad are solid, then kids usually feel supported, and you don't have a lot of some of these issues. If parents are not solid with each other, or there is discourse, or, you know, the parents are in the process of splitting up, that can have an impact on, on the kids. And you have to be very, very careful mm-hmm. as you're going through whatever business you're going through with whomever, that you shield the kids from that, that there's a continued united front uh, when it comes to the kids. But even with that, 
I think it's very difficult. So, and the same thing of, you know, if there's a death in the family, um, there's, you know, things that might trigger some of these. And I think being really watchful and just checking in Mm -hmm. um, and giving your kids opportunities to talk Mm -hmm. or to draw or to play when they're, you feel like they're dealing with this. And sometimes we do need to call on our specialist um, to say, can we talk about this and can we do an evaluation? Yeah, that's, uh, that's how I think it's really tough. Well, what are, you know, thinking back into the childhood, what could you have done differently? So yeah. now that my children are just four, are there things that yeah. I should really, really look out for yeah. and make sure that I'm Yeah, you know, no, I think that's really right good way. to be concerned about your children's mental health. Um, and, it, and it goes back to, I think, just, you know, feeling loved, feeling supported, feeling secure. Um, you know, this is why, especially at this age, so, uh, routines are so important. That's one of the ways you show your love to your kids is that there is a bedtime. That we just don't run wild and, mm-hmm. and go to bed whenever we want to. But sleep is important for a four-year-old. Uh, meal times are important. To have family meals together, if you can, um, are important because kids feel like my family is, is okay. My family is safe. My family loves each other. And that's the sort of things that you can do, um, I think, to promote that mm-hmm. family mental health, which is also important. That makes sense? Yep, definitely. Okay. Yep, thank you. Is it being diagnosed more today than it was maybe 10, 15 years ago, something like anxiety for children? Is it, and is it from our lifestyle has mm. changed? I, I know a lot of parents, both parents work, and I, <sighs> I mean, there's so, ma- there's so many things that can go into it. But, um, and if it is diagnosed, why is medicine sometimes the first approach Oh. To, 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 you know, isn't there holistic, I, more holistic ways yeah. like just exercise and diet that can help? And like you said before, you know, having some type of um, balance or routine in your daily day isn't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. isn't, yeah. that should be the f- first step. Yeah. Um, but is it being diagnosed more? It may be. I think we're, for a number of reasons, I think because. I think it is situational, and I think we're maybe creating it more. I think we're more sensitive to it. Also, there's medication now. And whenever we, the medical community finds that there's a medication for something, we love to make a diagnosis so we can treat it. It's so satisfying. So I think sometimes it's the cart before the horse when it comes to medication and using medications for different disease processes, including anxiety or depression in young kids. And our world is a chaotic world. And I think, you know, trying to make sense of our world sometimes is difficult for kids. I think taking that giant step back and just listening and watching and to take a good look at what's going on within the family, because it usually comes from within the family. And is it working for everybody? You know, maybe working for mom or dad uh, or the parent and maybe working for work, but not for home um, or vice versa. We have to figure out a way to make this all work together and that it works for everybody. And sometimes when it's not, then we need to make some tough choices. I totally agree with you. I don't send kids necessarily to a psychiatrist if I feel like we need some help. I like using a psychologist because they're not going to be prescribed medication. That if we can find you know, some ways to kind of help the family with this, um, I'd much rather do that. I'm totally with you when it comes to the medications that are being used. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of them. As a general pediatrician, I don't prescribe them. I look for my experts to prescribe them. I don't consider myself an expert in mental health as a general pediatrician. I do have a lot of experience. I can give you an opinion, but that makes me nervous um, as, a, as a physician. Um, so I cringe if I'm sending a kid to a psychiatrist. It's, it's a tough, tough thing to do, I think. But with that said, sometimes it's incredibly helpful. You know, sometimes we just have to. Can I share a story? Sure. Um, so my daughter, there was a death in our family. My mom passed away from cancer, which is her grandmother, which then she lived with us and we took care of her. And then right after her grandmother and my mother passed away, her teacher's mom passed away. So she, my nine-year-old daughter was having a really hard time um, leaving me and going to school. So she was diagnosed as having separation anxiety mm-hmm. at nine. And just like you said, we needed to just sit back and figure things out together as a family and what was best for our daughter mm-hmm. instead of just going right to medication. We decided to you know, spend more time with her. Her and I had mm-hmm. some more play dates. Again, like you said, every day gets hectic and you forget that you know your kids are need you and not mm-hmm. just go through the day. So 
and obviously her guidance counselors at school were wonderful, but Mm -hmm. it was really nice. Now she, before she goes to school, she still has, sometimes she said, mom, I feel it. It's coming on. And we talk Mm -hmm. about breathing and, and she actually gets outside and we can do it. She rides her bike almost every morning before she goes to school because it makes her feel really good. And I was just really proud of our family coming together in the sense of not going right to Mm -hmm. medicating her instead trying to figure out Good. You know, things that were, and not that it won't happen again to her, but mm-hmm. um, we're more aware of it through the experience and mm-hmm. and um, trying to figure out ways to make, you know, her day a little better. So, mm-hmm. And it sounds like it worked. It did. It yeah, did. She's been doing great. great. She's been yeah. doing really good. So good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you want me to ask the bedwetting you, question? And you, start yeah, okay. you start bedwetting. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not forgetting. <laughs> My six-year-old son still wets the bed, and you know I've I've tried everything. He does he doesn't want to wear a pull-up anymore, and that's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we eat dinner between five and five thirty. He doesn't drink after dinner except his three sips after he brushes his teeth. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, he chugs a little bit more, but I'm like, slow down. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're trying to stop wetting the bed. I've tried. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of dairy at dinner. He doesn't have yogurt after dinner, so I've tried cutting all that kind of stuff out. Um, I've also tried at one point waking him up before I went to bed to go to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. he is such a heavy sleeper. Mm. It was very hard to wake <laughs> him up. He would get mad at me or he would stand at the toilet and say, I don't have to go. Or he would have already wet the bed even by 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions, anything I haven't haven't tried, mm-hmm. anything, any help on this um, So on this I have a few pointed questions. <laughs> okay. Um, anybody else in the family had problems with bedwetting? Um my husband did. Mm, my brother, I don't know if that counts. Oh, but, yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that surprising? Not really, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that's why I asked that question. Okay. Almost always, there's going to be a first-degree relative, which is usually mom or dad, mm-hmm. aunt or uncle, okay. um, cousins, that's interesting. who also have problems with bedwetting. Okay. It has nothing to do with the bladder being overfull. It has nothing to do with the bladder not working. The bladder's working perfectly fine. Okay. And the reason you know that, because he's dry during the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Of, of yeah. course. He's a big boy. So what happens, and the key is what you said is about his, he's such a deep sleeper. So we know that bedwetting occurs usually during your stage four sleep, which is our heaviest part of sleep. And it's really the bladder simply relaxing. So there is nothing you can do. Okay. Restricting fluids before is not going to help. Making him feel bad, waking him up, it's not going to it's not going to work. Okay. What we do recommend, and usually starting about age seven or eight, is we recommend a bed alarm. And the way that it works is that when the alarm gets wet, it sets off the alarm, and it wakes up mom and dad. It doesn't wake up your child because okay. they're in a deep sleep. Mom and dad come and wake the child up, take him to the bathroom, and he starts associating that relaxation of his bladder with being woken up. And eventually, just like if you set your alarm for 6 o'clock, but you wake up at 5.58 every morning right before the alarm sets off, it's the same principle. Okay. And the reason we wait until seven or eight, because that's when it starts becoming effective. So one of the things that I try to do with kids is actually demystify it. And that's what I'll ask them. I said, who else put the bed in your family? Knowing somebody else did. A lot of times it's the family secret that no one wants to admit that, oh yeah, I was a bedwetter, duh. Uh, um, <laughs> and so once they find out that dad wet the bed, that uncle Joe wet the bed, then it's like, all right, so what do you think of them? They're pretty cool. It's like, yeah, this is no big deal. And until we stop, you're wearing pull-ups. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it. I don't, need, I don't need extra load of laundry every day. We exactly, have quite enough. <laughs> exactly. And this is such a common issue. And then you have younger kids. Is he your youngest? Um, I have two younger than him. Yeah, stay tuned. Okay, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. But, you know, if it's okay. in the family, I have some families that every kid wet the bed. Some is just, it was just one. Okay. Uh, but I do the same thing. I kind of play it forward and that I warn the parents to say, okay, when it's their turn to have kids, you want to remind them that they were bedwetters okay. and that there is bedwetting in the family because it might happen. Because the last thing you want to do, I mean, you're being very kind to your son, but there are some families that actually punish their kids when they wet the oh. bed. And thank you. No. Um, and it's really difficult <laughs> and very frustrating. And it's not out of meanness or out of, it really is just out of not knowing. Right. Um, that it's normal behavior for a six-year-old still. About probably 5 to 10% of six-year-olds are bedwetters. Okay. And that's the other thing I tell them. I said, anybody else in your class wet the bed? And, of course, they don't know, right? And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's two more. Oh. And, it's like, and you don't know who they are. 
and they don't know who you are. Right. And then the other thing we talk about is when he comes to an age where he wants to do sleepovers, there are medicines that we can use for that night that will prevent him from wetting the bed. So okay. he can do sleepovers safely and not be embarrassed. But the medicine that we use, he can't, it's not a cure. So we don't use it all the time okay. because it doesn't cure it. Time or the bed alarm. The bed alarm is actually pretty good. It so cures about 90% of the time. He's um, six and a half um, today, okay. actually. Should I wait another six months or wait till, I would, till wait, he's, I wait wait till he's seven. seven or eight? I probably okay. would. Don't, try, yeah. don't start. Is he having an yet. accident every night? Oh, every single night. Yeah. Yeah, so. And the pull-up doesn't even always. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's amazing that yeah. so much pee can be in one kid, right? <laughs> I know. Especially, I mean, he goes to the bathroom, he brushes his teeth, he gets to bed. I'm yeah. like, go back, go yeah. to the bathroom. Yeah. And he still wets the bed. Yeah. So. And the, the other, the obvious things, make sure he's not getting caffeine. You know, there oh, shouldn't be any no. soda, yeah. shouldn't be any okay. tea uh, and caffeine. So we rest- that's about the only restriction I make is really caffeine restriction, which a six-year-old shouldn't be getting anyway. But as far as trying to limit fluids and whatever, it's, you know, it makes him feel different. It makes him feel like something's wrong with him. Okay. Um, so, and it's going to happen anyway, as you've already experienced. So <laughs> I would just say, knock yourself out. Drink okay. what you want. It's no okay. big deal. <laughs> Did you talk to your pediatrician about this? You know, at his last visit, not to a uh, large extent, just that okay. he still wets the bed and he'll eventually outgrow it. But he's starting okay. to, he doesn't want to wear the pull-up. No, and, and that's really tough. So I'm like, sorry, buddy. Yeah, so maybe that's God. the, you know, the trick is, you know, figuring out a way that you can make that right for him. All right. Were there other sleep issues? Yes. My middle child, since the age of about three, wakes up. Um, he goes in spurts. Well, it, a couple of weeks, he'll wake up every night and he'll sleepwalk and sometimes even go mm-hmm. downstairs and he can even be angry. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll come back up and he'll start, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. frustrated. And he has no recollection of this the next morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it occurs. It'll go on for a couple of weeks and then it stops. Mm-hmm. Recently, he's been waking up around three o'clock every morning and wakes me up and says, I had a nightmare. Has mm. no idea he's done it. I put him back to bed. I reassure him that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. He goes back to sleep. I'm still up, of course. Mm-hmm. What do I do to help reprogram him? Mm. So actually, this is, this was this scripted? This is like, and just that <laughs> bedwetting is related to, to, to sleepwalking and to night oh, terrors. Kidding. So they all come what? from that same part of sleep. So he's having um, night terrors? No. Because he's waking up. Okay. But sleepwalking <clears throat> is related to night terrors. Night terrors and nightmares are two different things. Night terrors um, occur also during stage four. Kids wake up screaming, eyes wide open, almost possessed. He's never done that. Uh, um, and then they follow, They go back to sleep and they don't remember it. Just like the sleepwalking, they don't remember. Okay. Nightmares is a reaction to being afraid of something and that they remember the nightmare. They'll wake up. They'll come wake up mom or dad saying, I, you know, I'm scared or, or whatever. So there's two, there are two different things. Okay. Um, so the sleepwalking is not necessarily related to the nightmares. It's a safety issue, obviously, if your kid's walking around the, the house. I put up a gate so he can't go downstairs Perfect. and I can hear yeah. him and I can intercept. Exactly. And that's what you want to do. You need to have some sort of an alarm system so if he does leave his room or whatever that you're aware of it, mm-hmm. um, that you can kind of redirect him back to his room and make sure that he's safe. But, you know, there's these stories of kids leaving the house and going out on the street. I mean, it's, wow. it's pretty uh, um, profound. Nightmares are different. Um, some of this is that he just may be waking up and needing reassurance, and that it's and he's it's a habit now that it's the same time each night. Yeah. And so this is a little trick that we have is sometimes using Benadryl to kind of change his sleep pattern a little bit. It's easy to, to try. There's no downside. Uh, most kids do well with Benadryl. There's not a lot of side effects from it, except for those kids that it makes crazy. There's a small number of kids who've used Benadryl. They're yes, off my the oldest wall. has that issue. Okay, so so I, I may not use it as lightly in your younger kids if they have a, a sibling who had problems with Benadryl. But the point is, is trying to interrupt their sleep cycles just a little bit, that it might be enough to keep them asleep. And then you do that for a few nights, and then they get back into a good habit of sleeping through. So it may be worth a try. Okay, because um, it's funny. In the morning, I'll, I'll say, hey, buddy, what happened? You had another nightmare. And he starts to laugh. And, like, does he re- and he does remember it? Doesn't remember or not, not even the nightmare part. No. So maybe that, that may be the sleepwalking He starts to then. giggle or he's just, you know. He, yeah. Actually, I take it back. That, yeah, that, <laughs> may, that may be his sleepwalking then, that he's talking and walking and telling you things, you know. Who knows? But it's the same thing. Sometimes with night terrors and with sleepwalking, again, we use Benadryl okay. to try to... You just try to trick Tweak it a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then don't keep using it. Okay. So what about the one who just 
knows that they're getting up and they come in and get in bed with you. Mm, how old? She's four. Mm. So I have the same my, issue, same yeah, exact age. Yeah. My six-year-old. get up and they just want to see if you're there and they'll ask you the stupidest question. Well, I told her. I can't yeah. find my pillow. Or yeah. I can't do this or I can't yeah. do that. Does your, does so your son or daughter go back to bed? Or does, yeah, eventually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mine does not. Mine does not either. Yeah, climb into bed. She gets in bed. Yeah. She doesn't even wake me up bed, anymore. But... She just gets in bed. Well, okay. I said, don't wake me up. Just get in bed if you're going to yeah. do this every so night. So a couple of things um, to think about. They're at a good age to try a positive reinforcement chart that they can stay in their room oh, for did. the night. Okay. It's worth a try. Sometimes it works. Sometimes the need to see parents is so powerful that nothing's going to overcome it. My oldest did it, and I just he would do it. He actually would kick me and wake me up when he was in my stomach at four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And then when I nursed him, he got up at four o'clock in the morning. And when he was in a bed until he so was consistent. five. <laughs> and then he just seemed to outgrow it. Yeah. But my four-year-old, she she thrashes around. I've got a foot in my face at five in the morning. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. So her, I kind of... So what you may want to... The other thing bed. you can try doing if it's, you know, and what I worry about is the other kids seeing that one of the kids is getting special treatment going mm-hmm. in with mom mm-hmm. and dad. So you, it's not just about that kid. It's actually about the whole family. So you have to be really careful with, with how you deal with this. So I think, you know, redirecting back, you know, is important. Um, sometimes, you know, you're so exhausted, you just can't do it. But yeah. you may want to do it if it happens consistently. Is instead of them coming into bed with you, is actually create a pallet or something on the floor that they that's their place. They can't come uh-huh. in with parents, but they can so come into the room, do it at the foot of the bed, the or do it by the door, or do it away from the bed. Okay. Uh, so that's not the reward. But mm-hmm. you, it's kind of you're giving them permission, but not quite. Oh, so right. so something okay. to think about. If you can try doing, um, it works for some families. Okay. Um, so you're not getting that foot in the face. Yes. <laughs> and you're getting your sleep, and she's getting her sleep. Because okay, she desperately she just, needs more sleep. She, she just needs the she reassurance. She doesn't nap. Yeah. And okay. I don't know. If she does nap, it's she will fall asleep at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and that's no good. So, yeah. uh, you know, we don't lay down at 4.30, 5 o'clock. We have dinner and then bath in bed. But she... Um, I did turn white noise on in her room, oh, uh-huh. and that's she. For a little while, I was getting up at between ten and eleven, and then I'd put her back to bed, and she would get up again. But fine. the white yeah. noise has seemed to stop that okay. early on getting up. Mm-hmm. But she still will get up sometime after one mm-hmm. o'clock. Yeah. Um, so my my question about the white noise is that okay to leave on all night long? Is that good for them? Is that bad for their hearing? Like, it, is there anything that I should not be using? Yeah. Reason I should not be using white noise. I don't think so. I think okay. it's okay. There has been some, you know, there was some uh, a while ago, um, some studies that showed that maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Then there's some studies that, oh, yeah, it's perfectly fine. So the bottom line is we don't know. Okay. If it works, I say use it. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> It works uh, for the first time she gets up and the second yeah. time doesn't. Yeah. So we'll try a sleeping yeah. bag. My oldest needs music to fall asleep every night and it has to play for hours. Mm. And it's just something. I mean, it's very soft. It's frozen. Yeah. 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 But I used to do that. Yeah. It's well, the only is, way she'll go to sleep. Yeah. The, so not uncommon. I think as long as it's what I, I talk to kids about, you can only engage one sense at a time when you're trying to fall asleep. So if it's listening to something or if it's reading something, but you can't do TV because now you're listening mm-hmm. and you're watching. So mm-hmm. it's, it's too engaged. Your that's brain, too stimulating. Yeah, exactly right. So that's what we talk about is how do we let the brain start falling asleep and this is how we might be able to do it if they need to have some stimulation but you need to limit it so i think music is okay and as long as no one else can hear it no and as long as he's getting enough sleep probably is okay hopefully he'll change the cd at some point <laughs> maybe not <laughs> she is a creature of oh, habit okay. i must say okay so frozen it is <laughs> it is thank god for it i'm grateful <laughs> that's funny any other sleep issues I actually have a big one for bedtime. Okay. I used to love bath time. It was one of my favorite times of the day. Uh-huh. And as my kids have gotten older and have gotten bigger, it I feel like I'm in a three-ring circus. Uh-huh. And I become a drill sergeant. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, that is not the role I am trying yeah. to play. Okay. But I feel that the only way I am able yeah. to be effective and productive and really direct my children and get the results okay. that I need. Yeah. I have to be really stern. Chop, 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 chop. Let's okay. go. Let's move it along, people. Yep. You know, I'm redirecting okay. all. Okay. You know, you Just do- know you're going to hear this 10 years from now. I know. Yeah, they're going to be talking about this <laughs> and hopefully laughing. Hopefully. I know, right? Or when you're a grandmother, you're oh. going to be, you're, that's when you're really going to hear it. <laughs> I know. It's going to come back to haunt me. I know. I know. But is it effective? Yeah, I okay. mean, I get everybody. Then what's what's the downside? I wind up yelling. Oh, you don't have to yell. 
Just lower your voice. That's easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How? When, that is the million dollar question right there. I'm so okay. glad you brought that up. I mean, like, yeah. how? Like they don't pay attention to me no. at bath time if I'm not like, get in here now. Yes, you start, have to have such an authority. Start lowering your voices oh. because they want to hear what you're having to say. When you're yelling, they obviously hear it. They yeah. laugh at me. Like yeah. whisper almost? Yeah, just... See, oh, see what challenge. see what Give happens. It might, no, it might, look. yeah, well, yeah. I, I do the look. I love the look. <laughs> yeah. I do the like look like and the I yoga zoom. instructors yeah. talk. So the reason to lower your voice is a couple of reasons. One is just so you're not so stressed out because it's no fun to yell. Hmm. The other thing is, you know, this is a technique that I use in the office. Is when I'm trying to get a kid's attention, I just start whispering what okay. I want, and now they're looking at me, and now they get closer to me because they want to hear what I'm saying. But that's in my office, and I'm not, you know, every day in their face like mom and dads are. <laughs> but I think, you know, maybe you're going to get the same results, but maybe change your technique. Okay. So at least you're not stressed. I know um, it has to start with me. I'm just not sure what the right approach is. Uh, so right. what happens if they don't listen to you? What's the consequence? Well, I take stuff away. Oh, okay. That actually leads into the next thing. <laughs> I know, but then the here. problem with so that is sometimes they'll just continue on. Them, I keep taking and taking and taking. And I'm, why isn't this Okay, we need to crossed? find something yeah. that, not so much that it has to hurt. We don't want, I mean, hurt not physically, obviously. Right. But um, so what you may want to do is like, you know, have a family powwow. You know, this, you're going to get your bath. That's a given, right? So you can... Do it easy, or you can do it not so easy. Okay. Okay. Um, how do you How do you guys want to do it? Let's start some give and take. Okay. Who's going to go first? If it's the same person every night, or if you're going to rotate that, and whose night is it, and make a chart and we get ready. Do. But That's maybe good. buy them, let them buy into it a little bit because it is going to happen. Okay. And let's say maybe just by changing your approach, if you get the results that you want, meaning that you're not as Stressed out. Stressed out. And I'll be honest tired. with you, I'm tired by the end of the of day. Of course you are. You know, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little cranky. Yeah. Now, are you, are you, is this happening every night? No. I mean, it depends. It depends on who's in what kind of mood. And mm -hmm. and do we get baths And do we get baths every night? Do, in our we, house, yes. Do we need to? We do. Yes. In our house, we do every other Okay. Day. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it goes back to, I mean, again, if you're outside playing and, <clears> I mean, it's, it's it's a practical, you know, if we're dirty, we need to get our bath. If we're not so dirty, why do we need a bath every night? So then don't pick the battle and just, ah, it'll be all right. Yeah. And maybe if you just say Wednesdays and, you know, Fridays are bath night or Saturday, that's a good bath night, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, these kids don't smell. What about, I, I bathe my kids every night. They come home from school, they get out of their uniforms, they change their clothes. They the boys wash their hair. I'm kind of a germaphobe, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's mainly why we take mm -hmm. baths. Like they definitely don't smell, but mm -hmm. and or well, again, I think that... again, each family is different, obviously, and there's some families that it works. If some kids really like their bath time, it's fun time for them. Other kids, it's like they're like hydrophobic. It's like ah, water, oh. um, and so that's where you want to choose your battles wisely. You know, okay. so is it the end of the earth if they don't take a bath every night? Probably no. not. And so if it's not, then back off okay. and make it easier for yourself. Okay. I mean, why beat your head up against the wall? But then when it is bath time, it's going to be bath time. And then right? it is okay to take more of a stern approach, correct? And I think so. But again, you're a busy mom, though. I mean, you have four kids? I have three. Three? That's a lot. Okay. So, and my husband so you, and is there gone is some, a lot. He's yeah, and there is some efficiency to this. I mean, you only have so much time right. uh, when you do it. So I think, you know, that may be part of the conversation and make dad part of that conversation too. Even okay. though he's traveling a lot, he's be part of the family. Together. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And then, you know, have a power with the family and say, okay, we may not have to take a bath every night, but let's pick what nights do we. And what, and if we're going to do it, this is how we're going to do it. What's fair? And I love the idea of a rotation because there's a little bit of a battle. Yeah. Of who gets to go first and who's yeah. second? Everybody gets a turn. Yeah, you know. turns are so fair. That's a great idea. That is too. But a fairness is really important for okay. kids your age. Okay, I didn't. And you I, hear that probably how many times a day? It's not fair. Mm. Well, then make it fair. I hear that all day long. Of course you do. You're supposed to. That's their job, really, to make you honest, to make it fair. That's such a great age. It is. I have a quick question. Well, I don't know if it's so quick or not, but it's, again, bath time. And with twins. I have boy-girl twins. Mm -hmm. And they take a bath together. They're four. Mm -hmm. 
At what age should I mm. not be bathing them together? That is a great question. When they mm-hmm. start <laughs> yeah. Leave yeah. Yeah. in there. My no, and I don't know that there's... Nec- out now. <laughs> yeah. And should he be freaked out now, like yeah. when they're pointing and touching things? Yeah, yeah. That's when I end. That's, yeah. And that's actually... And that's, that's when I always tell the parents, well, what do you think? And if someone is getting weirded out by it, then it's time. Okay. okay. But, I'm not weirded out by it. I'm like, yeah. they're kids. Like, you're right. Just, and four-year-olds, they could like, care less. Or whatever. Like, they yeah. could care less. Like, and it's, it's a great. I mean, it's good for their but... kids to grow up knowing some people have penises, some people have vaginas. Yeah. And I think that's really important for kids to know, um, you know, what makes a boy a boy or a girl a girl. Um, and that's a really innocent, I think, really instructive and a, not a weird way. Uh, to do it. So, but when it's, there is almost an ick factor when it happens. Okay. We're done. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know for every family, it really is different. I've had families that is like, they all take a bath together and it's like, okay. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's weird, but far, you know, I'm not going to. Hey, to each say, his own, right? Exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. There's so a time I started with all my kids, but we, d- we had to stop that once they, my oldest got like Three, I think we saw. Yeah. And I it was. I mean, they all went to get in. Yeah, but there is. They're really, I mean, yeah. and this is like, it's almost intuitive, you know, and I think every family is going to be different, and you're not going to scar your kids for life um, either <laughs> way. Okay. Because if they aren't able to bathe together, it's not like, why didn't you let us bathe until we were five? <laughs> they don't care. My so. six year old still sometimes is like, oh, can I get in the tub with Annabelle and, and Evan? Because they're. They're having they're fun. Having yeah. fun. It's, yeah. It, it does become fun. fun. And, 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 and if it's fun. Like, yeah, go yeah. ahead. And Good. it's like a treat it's almost. Like and they get to do something yeah. different. It's yeah, like so no big deal. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your questions. Um, I think these are questions that a lot of parents have. So I really appreciate you coming out. Thanks so much Thanks for having us. Thank you, us. Thank you, so Thank you so for answering yeah. our questions. This is great. Good, good. We should do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> to our listeners, if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.